Now, Christianity has its 13th apostle, a faithful witness to the love, mercy, and truth of Jesus Christ. How about you? Will you be the 13th apostle? What do a Catholic saint, a Catholic priest, a Catholic nun, and an archbishop of the Anglican Church have in common? Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the 13th Apostle where we explore the good, the beautiful, and the true of the Catholic faith in the Catholic Church. This is Tom Caffrey with my co-host, Catholic Dan Duddy. Mm. Hi, Tom. Catholic father. Not a priest, but yeah. you're... Well, you're in the priesthood, but you're not in the... Priest, prophet, and king. Yes. See? You know, humility just no, oozes from your pores. Knock it off. Knock that off. <sighs> We are called to be such. Amen. Priest, prophet, and king. So if we're not going to be such because we're afraid it's a lack of humility, then it, in its essence, it's pride stopping us from being such. Anyway. Well, I think of uh, the, the king of the jungle is, a, is the lion, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Because the and elephant says says that he can be. <laughs> he's got a he's lions have a massive roar. Mm, where are you going with this? Well, you were just extolling the the volume of your voice. Now your your voice is always you know, stronger than mine, anyway. But even more so now. Uh, but it was a commercial. Uh, I think that was a for. Uh, or perfume or something like that, if you want to capture somebody's attention, you whisper. I have been capturing many, <laughs> many attentions over the past two long. You're catching, you're catching the, the attentions of lip readers. <laughs> yeah. Looking for practice. You just reminded me of a cartoon guy. We're, we're um, showing my age. You remember Hurricane Hippo? Oh, come on. Do you? The Hurricane Hippo holler. Yes. <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if our audience remembers Hurricane Hippo. He would take a deep breath, very yeah. deep, long yeah. inhale. Yeah, you should. That should be your exercise. Straighten your voice out. You're going to find your voice is somewhere down at your toes, and you're going to bring it all the way up into your your vocal cords, and there, boom, and you're going to have it. Listen to me. Just do it after the after the show. Just do it. Trust me. I'm going to uh, see the specialist on Thursday. <clears throat> In New York, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm going to tell him your recommendation. Yeah. And then I'll share with you in the audience his re- reaction. Okay? <laughs> after, he, after he gets up. After he gets up and, and he does surgery on me to put my vocal cords back all, in my head. Your surgeon's probably a young punk that never even heard of Hurricane Hippo. So you shouldn't even go into him. Don't trust the guy. <laughs> uh, you know, why don't we change this to the uh, 13th position? <laughs> uh, well, well, let's go. Let's talk about the, these uh, these four four people I, to whom I alluded, um, and uh, it's I'd sent you uh, four essays, uh, one written by each of these um, people, and uh, the title of the 
Well, the essays pertain to repairing relationships. And they all, the four of them, were tasked with reflecting on the restorative power of personal forgiveness. And obviously, forgiveness means it's somebody else is involved. You know, at least two people are involved. So their relationship, if forgiveness is needed, then the relationship is damaged. And uh, so this is, and so, you know, you and I, before we went on the air, we were talking about uh, this group, and we're, we're talking about relationship. We were talking about repairing, and I was telling you about this initiative that's going around the world about repairing things as opposed to throwing them out, discarding them. And that was in, I believe, uh, Pope Francis' uh, encyclical Laudato Si. And just in multiple teachings by him about we have a throwaway culture, which you and I both know we've had that for decades. Uh, Once uh, planned obsolescence came in, I think, in the 1930s. I mean, you had, you know, Henry Ford was determined to build the cars so well that you wouldn't need to buy a new one. And then whoever the chief of GM uh, was at the time thought, well, wait a minute, this is an easy thing to capitalize us and uh, so they built in planned obsolescence and their cars would be you'd have to replace parts and then the whole car and whatever few years and so gm overtook ford and so pope francis and this group and more and more are saying hey listen you know whatever the damage is to the environment it damages us in terms of relationships it damages you know, just discard and you know pope francis is tying it in with discarding humanity you know it starts to wear us down and break us down a bit and uh all of a sudden we say well you know i was kind of thinking of well not kind of he's thinking of abortion but not just that and he's always talking about the margins of society and the people and so thus we're you know, I stumbled upon these um, these essays about repairing relationships, and uh, that's what we're going to talk about. So, the first one was written by Saint Teresa of Avila. You know, she's like everybody. I was going to say she's really got a fascinating history. I think every human being has a fascinating history, but they're all different, though. And uh, so. She was. She wrote, well. You can take it from here with her. I mean, in terms of her dealing with her community, you know, uh, the difficulties with being in an order, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, and all, the last thing I'll say about her, and you can take it, is in terms of how things affect people and down through the generations, and talk about relationships. You talk about the sins of the church. Her grandfather was a Jew, but he was forced to convert to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. You know, so and that's a, that's a bad stain on the church, and certainly in Spain, uh, uh, with the, the, the forced conversion of Jews. Terrible, mm-hmm. terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just say one more thing: that in terms of relationships uh, and woundedness, her mother died when she was eleven. When Teresa was eleven, so she's got some wounds, and whether that led to her some of her scrupulous ways, where she was just so sinful and so bad, 
So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, true. Going to Teresa of Avila compared to the to the other three, you know, her, her immense, her sense of resignation of turning her life over is just far more evident in her writing. And not to say that it's not the same in, in the other three writers, but it's just so revealed in in her essay regarding such. And, and her whole essay is, is about that, whereas in the other ones, they touch upon different items. Although, What's consistent in all four is that constant theme of self-abandonment. And and her having this community of sisters and the fact that and and then one of the other writers talks about the the rubbing of personalities constantly all day long. We'll get to her, that other writer later. But it's just it had to be an incredible and it's obviously and as it should be, and it should be with us, an incredible concern because the whole future, the whole thrust, the whole efficiency of the community is founded upon being able to live in harmony, the whole thing. And above all, because it's under the umbrella of Jesus Christ himself. So, and, and I'm sure she would attest to this, it's constantly under attack, knowing that that was the glue. That was the one thing that was going to keep this society, this community going, this hugely important society of sisters. But what's cool, what I got from Teresa of the Villa, and as fundamental as she is and as powerful as she is, they both go together, you know, fundamentals, you know, simplicity and power, is that she went to the Lord's Prayer and she presents to us, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So I'm going to say that again, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And what she, what she brings out is that we're not saying as we shall forgive. She's saying this is who we are. We do forgive. This is who we are. We are commissioned to this. This is the walk that we walk. This is how we walk that talk of the prayer. We are forgivers no matter what happens. Lord, we are sinners first, so please forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And the bottom line of the last paragraph of this short essay is that she does step up, like you just said, Tom, and she, you know, she refers to herself as a deeply powerful sinner. And she proclaims that powerfully. I am a sinner, whereas those around me are not. But she knows they are, but she will not allow herself in her self-abandonment to see their sins. So already in the nature of her spirituality, and that shadow of her soul that causes her sinfulness, that becomes light for her, and she'll never allow herself to judge anyone else. And she says, this is why the saints have rejoiced so much in insults and persecutions. It was because these insults and persecutions gave them something to present to the Lord. <laughs> it's like, it, it makes me smile with sound when they prayed to him. When they had these insults and persecutions, and they said, as we forgive those, as we forgive, not as we shall, as we forgive those that trespass against us, it was, it was an honor to say that because it meant absolute abandonment, which meant the joy that comes from sainthood. Yeah, it's a powerful essay on her part. I well, the, it. the only thing I would say is, and you know me, I gotta, if, I, if I see something that doesn't make sense to me, I'll... I got to take a closer look at it, and you know, if you're sure. trying to if you're trying to put a community together, I think it's one thing that you're not condemning people for their flaws, and you know, obviously, if you're mindful of your own flaws, but certainly, especially if you're a leader, 
you got to call out if you know if, if there's something that's going on that's disrupting the cohesiveness of the community. You got to address it. You can't just. And I'm not saying she did this or did this all the time, but uh, I got the impression, not just from this, but from others' readings of her over the years, that she seemed to turn an eye away from some things and then perhaps let the problems fester. Um, mm, I, I agree with you, Tom. I think that leadership is definitely virtuous. And I, I think that, well, gosh, that the church is founded upon structure and do's and don'ts. If you never called uh, out your players who made a mistake, you, you, you <laughs> would just have chaos. Now, they would probably exactly. think you're a saint uh, as opposed to what they think of you sometimes. But, uh, <laughs> but, but Tom, they walked into the locker room knowing that there were parameters that we exactly. stood for something. Exactly. Yeah, you, you have to have that because that discipline, you know, the root word of discipline is discipleship. You know, our youth today, they, they think that there's freedom where there's no discipline. That's what freedom is, no discipline. There's so much freedom in discipline. That's where you get your freedoms is in your discipline. Exactly. Amen. Yeah. I want to correct myself for the next essay. This woman is not a nun. Uh, she, I believe she is a servant of God, uh, Catherine Doherty. And yeah. she started the uh, Catholic lay apostolate, Madonna House. And I, I know a little bit about that. And I, you and I may have talked about the Madonna House way back. Um, but she emphasizes family, you know, mm-hmm. right? And the, the uh, common life, she calls it, um, uh, the family life in every home. You know, that's, that's the greatest, she says that's the greatest school of sanct- uh, sanctity. No, I could, you know, I could see, you know, the ones that are closest to you can hurt you the most. Yeah. And I could, I should phrase it also, the ones to whom you are closest can be hurt by you and, you know, by hurt by us. So, you know, it goes both ways. The hurt goes both ways. Uh, And that the depth of those wounds uh, make forgiveness that much harder and probably less likely. so, I mean, she even writes about uh, griping, yeah. you know, destructive, critical, and uncharitable. Yeah. Yeah, so so true. And I, I love the fact that what she writes, she writes about family, but, and, and we know this, and we, and we talk about this all the time, Tom, whether it's on the air or when we're doing retreats, is that the things that make the core family functional, united and harmonious, are the very same things that make any community the same, functional and harmonious. Uh, the same virtues. And I, I do, I agree with you. I, the greatest school of sanctity, she writes, is the family. But you get it from the common life, as she says, but the, this is, she was the one, the rubbing of personalities. Personality against her personality. And, you know, and, and I, I chuckle because it's constant in family, right? It's constant. And the only way to lubricate that machine of family and keep that moving forward is consistent forgiveness constant forgiveness and and that comes from self-abandonment so she does talks about that and as do the other three and the griping concept that is loyalty that that is the that is the anti-loyalty that is the antithesis of loyalty is griping uh your words need to be they need to be uh, kept inside yourself until they wither away and die and they start with thoughts so you she know, says say hail mary every time you think you're going to grape amen you know yeah, and that's true for you know we're talking about family you know yeah. there are people who out there in our audience who 
I don't know when maybe they don't have any family members alive anymore. Maybe they were never close with family members, and maybe for this particular reason, maybe for other reasons. But they had friendships, friendships that were deep. Maybe certainly, I know people who, and in some ways, I I have this where I'm, you know, in some ways closer to close friends than some members of my family, you still can never take away that blood bond, uh, you know, that never goes away. Uh, but in terms of day in and day out and intentionality, you forge these friendships. And, you know, one I can say with, and I've mentioned this on the air, when my, not long, after, well, several months after my mother passed away in October of 22, and she did not have a big estate. Our family just blew up. The eight children. Uh, it was just disgusting and tragic, outrageous. And tragic is really not the right word because the tragic is like okay, well, there's no there's no good option. But there were good options, and people chose not to do those options. That's good. That's a good point. I like that. And yeah. one brother said to another brother because he didn't like what that how that person how the one brother called out the other brother for something, and he said have a nice life. You've lost a brother. And, you know, I responded and I said, how can you do that? How can you discard a loved one so easily? You have a, you, that, that's a serious problem. And that's true with friendships too. You know, people let friendships die on the vine. They don't cultivate yeah. their friendship garden. Loved ones, love, love is doing. Yeah, man. Right? You're, it's, yeah, it's you see, yeah. You're throwing yourself out, Tom. When when you do that, exactly. you're you're right. You're right. completely discard. It just it just said that's that's the analogy with the vine. You're discarding yourself, and you will be the one that withers. And uh, tragically, a great point. Dies. Okay. Yeah, it's like throwing the baby out with the uh, with the yeah. bathwater. And I like her final point too. And I know we, we both, before we move on to another writer, she says, how much before you gripe about someone else, say that Hail Mary. And then she says, how much material for griping does this person have about you? Exactly. If you, right. If you're honest with yourself, that should silence you pronto. And that's that yeah. Lord's prayer that you mentioned before. That, that, mm. that, that passage. Yeah. So let's go to Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Mm-hmm. Anything in particular grab you well, uh, about that? I can yeah. think of one thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Go ahead. more than two things, really. You know, he was part of the Truth Commission in South Africa with apartheid. Mm-hmm. And he went around for years as kind of like a missionary to try to, without hatred, I didn't, I never sensed any hatred in him mm-hmm. for how he suffered and how so many of the uh, 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 black Africans uh, suffered. Uh, to the Afrikaners, you know, the Dutch. and um, uh, But he was all about forgiveness and reconciliation, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And uh, so he's, there's a lot of, he just experienced a tremendous amount of broken relationships. I also think of, it reminded me of, um, he writes, now and again we catch a glimpse of the better thing for which we are meant. And I, for some reason, I immediately thought of the Christmas truce in World War One, on the battlefields, and where the where the enemies communicated with with each other, 
uh, exchange prisoners did caroling. You know, and this is, uh, you know, it's just, it's such a moving story. So, yeah. anyway, that's what came out uh, in my mind. What, you, what you're thinking with Archbishop? Well, I see, him, I see exactly what I think is so important to us. We, we see the fundamental truths of family with uh, uh, Catherine uh, de Heck Doherty. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we go onward now to a full world concept. Uh, of uh, intolerance and exclusion in Cape Town, South Africa, and all all the hardship regarding human rights and violations. Once again, these are simple family concepts. And one thing that pops out to me, and we listened to Mark today, uh, this is Tuesday, the reading of Mark, and, and the woman who touched our Lord's cloth for, she was, I think, 12 years hemorrhaging. And the, the key con- word I got out of that in my meditation was authority. She found that she had no authority on her life. She had, but by the sheer the sheer nature of in her humanness, she could get so sick that she pleaded for healing from it. That is self abandonment. You know that is that is a turning over. Like my Lord, please let me touch you. I, I know we're running out of time, but Jewish law said that she wasn't even allowed to be in that crowd, that huge crowd that was around our Lord, and she went right through that crowd and touched his cloth. She found. She was not the authority of on life through her pain or suffering. Amen. And that's where Teresa of Avila comes in. That's where Jacques Philippe has come in. We didn't get to him yet, but they all have the same theme. We have nothing to do with the fact that we exist and we have no authority over this. So give each other a break, huh? You, uh, once again, you uh, frolic in the field of uh, truth and brilliance. Uh, unbeknownst to yourself. So when you talked about authority, that perfectly leads us into the last essay with Father Jacques Philippe. And he, he he's very candid. And you and I like this, where some the, the trials are so difficult, they're so powerful, we can do nothing, he writes. There is no solution, he writes. The feeling of being helpless, and to your point of authority, powerless. Amen. And to me, right away, I thought of poverty of spirit. The, the, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. And what that beatitude is teaching us is that this is, this is teaching you to have total dependence on God, not on yourself. And I thought that politicians, the rich, law enforcement, military, that they have power. They have authority, again, to what you had said. Mm. Right? They have that. But they, I, I think that it's harder for them, people in those areas of life, well, that their fall and their broken relationships are harder because in their field, in their craft, day in and day out, they wielded power. They were like that centurion who, who said to Christ, you know, if I say do this, they do it. If I say do that, they do it. And that's what these people have. But so when it's time, when when their relationships get broken, they can't pull out a gun. They can't pass a law. They can't buy the decision that they, the outcome that they want or that that they were able to do for for years and years. Yeah. You know, it's the wrong hope, you know, that their power will one day prevail, and it doesn't. 
Amen. Yeah, truth be told. Which is why, which is why the uh, the great uh, Austrian Viennese psychiatrist uh, Viktor Frankl, who wrote that great book, it's a short book, powerful though, "Man's Search for Meaning." He was uh, Mm -hmm. in the German concentration camp, Mm -hmm. and. As Father Philippe talks about, in fact, I, as I'm reading, I'm thinking, wait a second, I know this guy, and then I remember I have his book, Interior Freedom, which is what he writes about, and it, this is, you know, whether, and, and Viktor Frankl wrote about that, saying what kept him alive in the concentration camp was they couldn't take away what he thought and how he interpreted his experience in that concentration camp. Uh, and one last thing about this, this all came, I, I love this essay the most, as you can probably tell. I thought about the prisoner of war for uh, in Vietnam, Admiral William Stockdale. And it's, this is, well, this is an outrage of how he was treated uh, when he was the, uh, he was selected as the vice president candidate for Ross Perot. And the media and other people treated him rotten. You know, they just they made fun of him. He wasn't a politician. He wasn't a polished politician, but he struggled for for years in the, as a prisoner of war. But there's something called the uh, Stockdale paradox, and I have that written down. After as I was going through my divorce, I, I somebody a friend of mine gave me this, and I wrote it down, put it in my wallet. To I'll paraphrase it: accept the circumstances that you find yourself in, however brutal. But mm-hmm. never abandon hope that you will prevail in the end. Amen. And that's what I believe Father Jacques Philippe is emphasizing. This is, you can't do it by yourself. You can't Amen. do it whatever earthly weapons you think you have and that you were able to use. Amen. The beauty of the pain becomes the realization of the true authority. And that's when we really start to live for eternity. <laughs> It's, it's easy to say, let go and let God, and that's what that's what all this is about. But it, it is, is helpful to write all this stuff so we have a better understanding of what these people, what motivated these people to write these things. So. Sure, and we we see the inclusiveness of, of of God's children. We're all the same. It's beautiful, outstanding. This was a good job, Tom. I appreciate these essays. Thank you. Uh, it's wonderful. Thanks, yeah. buddy. Okay, so uh, what's going on now? What's coming up next? Uh, stay tuned, folks, for the Angelus and uh, your prayer intentions with Peter and Jemmy. WQPHradio.org. Thanks to Marianne, Jean, James, Tom, and all the rest of the crew. And uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for your support. Always. God bless you, Danny. God bless you, Hurricane Hippo. <laughs> and God bless you all. God bless you, Tommy. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening to The 13th Apostle with Dan Duddy and Tom Caffrey. For more information on Dan, visit his website at www.danduddy.com or email dcduddy at gmail.com. Tom's website is faithpilgrims.com or email trcaffrey at faithpilgrims.com. How about you? Will you be The 13th Apostle? 